You are listening to the Catholic Recon Podcast, testimonies from Catholic reverts and converts. I'm your host, Eddie Trask. Don't forget to leave a review and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Catholic Recon, testimonies from reverts and converts. I'm your host, Eddie Trask. Before I get to this week's guest, I want to remind you to subscribe. We are pretty close to a thousand subscribers, which is a huge blessing reaching a lot of people with these testimonies. Please like the videos, comment accordingly. Also go to eddietrask.com if you know of anyone that wants to share their Catholic testimony. This week's guest is Deacon Bill Burns. Deacon Bill, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Eddie. Thank you for agreeing to this. You know, the first mass I attended when we moved to Boise, which was just a little over two years ago. It was at St. John's Cathedral in downtown Boise. And I remember seeing Deacon Bill at that point. And I remember being intimidated probably because of his beard. And, <laughs> and so it's so funny. I was so new to the, or I had just returned to the faith about a month earlier. So I was intimidated by everyone. I, I wanted to, uh, but I was also so intrigued by deacons. And I know I, when I had returned to the faith, I knew nothing. Long story short, I knew that we were going to meet at some point. We did. We had coffee. We hit it off. Anyway, I just wanted to have him on the program so he can share his testimony. And I, I think this is probably the fourth deacon I've interviewed or fifth. And they always have fascinating stories. So Deacon Bill, with that, uh, again, thank you. And uh, the floor is yours. Oh, well, thanks. Um, I guess this is where I tell my story. This is where you tell um, my story. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I was, I was, I'm a cradle Catholic. I, I was born Catholic, baptized uh, two weeks after my uh, birthday, be, simply because uh, the week after my birthday was Christmas Day, and that was not going to be happening. Uh, and so um, uh, grew up in the faith uh, and remember I remember vaguely the pre-Vatican II liturgy uh, and how it was, how it sort of evolved and changed and shifted uh, slowly during my childhood uh, to where there were, um, there was more vernacular, there were changes in the way that the, the priests uh, faced, little by little uh, changes, and also changes in the way that we were catechized, because, you know, uh, I was still being taught by these priests who were brought up in you know they were they had, they were in seminary in the 1940s and, and 1950s, and so still fairly conservative uh, in terms of the traditions. And um, uh, it was interesting because I, I can sort of remember a time like right around 1971, where suddenly we had a folk mass uh, at our church and. Uh, we weren't kneeling at the rail anymore, and uh, we had a children's choir, which wasn't very common, and especially a children's choir that sang up front. I was part of it, of course, um, uh, because I was at, at that time a bit of a, a, a bit of a show off. <laughs> anyway, um, but then remembering, you know, that the teachers, the, the priests were still teaching us about mortal sin, the difference between mortal and venial sin, the fact that sacramental, that, that uh, baptized, that, that anyone can baptize, 
And I knew that. I have a funny story about that that I can share later on that. Um, and then almost overnight, we went from Baltimore Catechism to uh, felt and construction paper, where all we were doing was arts and crafts related to stories. And we weren't really learning about the faith as much. And that sort of got worse and worse uh, as, as things progressed. And so- Let me ask you this right off the bat. Was sure. that something you noticed in the moment? You just saw that it was changing dramatically or because you were in it, you didn't realize until later? It was sort of like the, the it's sort of like the, uh, the crab or the lobster in the, the, the pot. Um, yeah. Did not notice or the frog in the pot or however you want to, whatever illusion you want to use. Uh, I didn't notice it until looking back, I realized how little I knew about my faith. Got it. Okay. And, um, and really, uh, it was sort of a weakened witness the entire time. Every, every step of the way, the witness got weaker and weaker and weaker, uh, or it focused on things that were sort of peripheral or, or superficial, uh, didn't teach the faith, was focused on being nice as opposed to being true. Um, and, and really, by the time I was um, in junior high, I was really not fully invested in the, the, the faith. Uh, I was going through the motions. Um, and definitely by high school, uh, I was definitely uh, falling away and, and, and not, I was just simply there, I was present, even though I was like the, the choir director for a short period of time at the, our, our uh, uh, parish on the military base where I uh, grew up. By the time I got to um, school, college, I went to Gonzaga University. Uh, I was pretty much lapsed. I, I had pretty much lapsed by that time. And quite frankly, the, um, Instruction I got there, particularly in scripture, gave me the last little shove out the door uh, because of the way that they represented belief and the faith and interpretation of scripture and uh, the looseness of it. Now, I think I'm, when we had our conversation, I mentioned the fact that if Jesuits often say that if you give, the, give them the child at six, they'll give you the man at 18. Well, that's great for people raised in the Jesuit system who can be actually inculcated in their process and their thoughts. Somebody raised in the public school system who's constantly inundated with secular uh, thought is not going to respond in the same way. And I didn't respond in the same way. I was like, well, okay, scripture is not divinely instituted or not interpreted the way I thought it was. And it was really more my own ignorance than anything that, that allowed me to just simply say, why did the church? And so by the time I uh, left Gonzaga at 19, I really wasn't practicing the faith. I, I don't think I went to mass other than maybe once or twice when I was there. Um, and uh, that was it, that was it. I was not, I was not practicing my faith. And yet there was still something imprinted on me by my early upbringing that was, that was going to haunt me for a long, long time. And so I uh, delved into other belief systems, other thought systems, 
philosophy, existential philosophy, um, uh, Eastern mysticism, and kind of sort of dwelled there for a good four or five years. Um, I was always searching for something. I was still always searching for the truth, but not certain of where to look. And so, and so my, my focus is going to be on philosophy in some, some capacity or Eastern mysticism in some capacity. And somewhere along the way, uh, I, I got hired at a metaphysical bookstore, the Blue Unicorn, here in Boise. Uh, and by metaphysical, I don't mean actual metaphysics. I mean new age. Sure. And uh, we, they, we sold books on uh, new age mysticism, Eastern mysticism, tarot, Wicca, whatever you can think of uh, in any kinds of practices in those areas, uh, esoteric practices of various kinds. Uh, they sold products for that, and I was the purchaser. I was the one who was responsible for ordering the books and the the items. So you'd go out and see what's popular and try to get those titles, or yeah, that's yeah, exactly that's what I did. I'd go yeah. try to go out and get those titles. Um, I, I actually, I'm trying to remember now. I don't know if I did the book ordering as much as I did all of the other stuff. So sage wands, crystals. Uh, any of the other CDs of, of the music, any of the other stuff that was involved, you know, it, that they were selling. Uh, I, I, I took care of all of that stuff. I think somebody else actually ordered the books because I wouldn't have had enough knowledge to know where to look or what to buy. Got it. Or, or even how to, how to purchase books in, in, a, in a sensible, because of course, bookstores, margins, the margins are very thin. And so they have to be very selective in what they're actually going to stock. And, uh, and so I don't think I bought, I don't, I don't think I was purchasing the books, just the other items, which are bad enough, tarot cards, other kinds of divination devices, yeah. things like that, that really uh, fall outside of the pale of Catholic, uh, Catholic uh, teaching, Catholic orthodoxy or practicing. And uh, that was, I was there for probably two years. Um, and, and I started to recognize while, uh, you know, going in, I was thinking, trying to be open-minded and thinking, well, all of these, uh, all of these systems have their, uh, their legitimacy or, uh, you know, they, their, their perspective and, uh, and I need to honor that and be open to it. And over time I started realizing, no, there's some problems with the, the way these people think. Uh, in terms of syncretism, you know, basically big borrowing and choosing and picking things from different system, systems and bringing them together, trying to cobble together a belief system that fits their own personal needs. It was all very subjective. Um, in terms of their goals, what were they trying to do? Were they actually trying to become better people or were they trying to gain power? And what I found it, with a lot of people involved in the New Age movement, especially with Wicca and any kind of magical practices, that they were trying to gain power because in their personal lives, they didn't feel they had control. And so lacking power, they tried to seek it in other places, which is what 
a lot why a lot of people go in and get into magical practices and um, and get into the occult trying to find some way of gaining power over their lives and i began to realize that there was something unhealthy about certain aspects of that maybe i'll ask uh, but I was still a seeker of truth. I was still trying to find the truth, looking into philosophy, reading more into philosophy and, and reading into other religions and faiths and, um, and such. Uh, I, I got married outside the church and uh, had a daughter and had a stepson and um, really tried to just simply be a good person, okay? Uh, at, at one point, we looked at you know other other churches maybe to go to uh, primarily since we weren't really feeling the feeling the love for the, for the Christian faith we were looking at like the Unitarians and 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 such and um, I, I know a lot of really kind people who are who follow that faith uh, and then I and I also noticed I know I noticed a lot of really unhappy people. And no real center of faith there, no real center of belief. Uh, so, um, it to me felt more like just a place you wind up if you have nowhere else to go. And maybe that's what some people need. Maybe they need to be at least in a place before they can find their way back to the truth. I'm not sure. Uh, for me, I knew. This is not where I need to be. Um, it, it wasn't working for me. Um, and and I, I believe ultimately it doesn't work for anybody, but that's that's my personal belief. Um, and so I can continue to look, and I think I came to a crisis at some point where it, I, I remember exactly the point. I had an accident that uh, was was my fault, and I was I felt very guilty about uh, uh, the possibility of harm to the other person. And I realized that I needed, I didn't just need to know the truth. I also needed salvation. I needed to be saved. I needed something more than just knowing the truth. I needed to be cleansed. I needed something beyond. The truth is, is absolutely need to know the truth. Also need to know that part of the truth is you're saved. And this was a car accident that you're. Yeah, it was a car accident. It was it was minor. It was a minor car accident. Um, the uh, the other person in, involved in the accident told me after she got out of her car, she said, "I just found out that I'm pregnant," and I felt tremendously guilty. Because. I was very concerned about the life of her unborn child. I was concerned that I might cause a miscarriage or might have caused a miscarriage in my actions or whatnot. Now, it, that's the interesting thing about all of this is that while I might have left the Catholic, Catholic faith, faith, I might have left the faith, I might have left behind the, the teachings, the moral teachings of the church in terms of my practice, they didn't leave me behind. They traveled with me and were a constant source of, of, of aggravation for me. Not aggravation in the sense of like, ah, you're bugging me, go away. Sure. But more like, I know something's wrong here. I know there's my moral conscience speaking to me. I know that what I'm doing is wrong, yet I'm continuing to do it. 
I forgot to mention the fact that, of course, I was a musician. Uh, I was playing in rock bands, uh, playing on the nightclub circuit, toured and made my, I was a professional musician for many years. And with all that, go that goes along with that, when they, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not proud of it, but the fact is that when they, when they say sex, drugs, and rock and roll, they're not exaggerating. All of that stuff is part and parcel of being involved in that lifestyle. And it takes a really strong-willed person to be separate from it. Okay. So I have to acknowledge that. But again, all that time, my conscience was pricking me. My conscience was bothering me. And I knew that I couldn't sustain that kind of life. So at this point, late 90s, I was coming to this crisis where I knew I needed to find something some foundation on which I could be anchored. And I started to look at the church again. And I, oddly enough, during that, that time when I was searching, I had gone back to the Catholic parish closest to us. I'd invited our neighbors to go with us, uh, one who was a lapsed Catholic, the other who was, who was uh, not baptized. They wound up he wound up going, coming into the church. She wound up going back to the church. And I remember asking him, well, the, the church gives you all of these moral strictives and, and constrains your freedom. How, why, why would you want to do that? And he says, actually, no, it, it gives me freedom because it gives me the space to know where I can operate. It gives me the guidelines and the boundaries. Um, and so uh, that opened me up to the idea of looking more deeply into the Catholic faith again. And so he loaned me some of the books that he'd gotten in RCIA, uh, that, that apologetic series by, I can't remember the, the priest and the, the, and the other uh, uh, theologian who put them together. They're a very thin copy. Yeah, you yeah, no, no, not that. Yes, yes, that actually it's a different cover, but yes, beginning yeah. of politics. Father yeah. Frank, what is going on with my mic? Did you just hear that? No. That was weird. Anyway, Father Frank and, and Jim Burnham. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Great series. And what I liked is how they broke it down into dealing with questions in certain areas on moral, on moral teachings, uh, addressing the questions of Mormons and, and Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, basically going through all of these various areas. And as I was reading through them, I was sort of getting some of the resistance was being peeled away. Another thing that happened during that time was I spoke to a, a another priest here, the, the pastor of the church uh, where I had attended, and I, I wanted to address some of my concerns and my reservations. And I said to him, during that conversation, I said, I, I just can't accept the faith blindly. I can't just accept the Catholic teachings blindly. And he said, well, you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to accept them blindly. You're supposed to apply reason. You're supposed to use your brain. God gave you reason for a reason. Uh, and you're supposed to use it to understand and grapple with and wrestle with the facts of the faith. And again, that peeled away the resistance because then I was able to look at it and say, okay, I'm going to be open to this. I'm going to 
you know, look at the questions honestly and from these perspectives, listen to the arguments. And as I started looking at the arguments, listening to them and started reading through, I began to see this picture of the faith that I never knew about. I talked about syncretism earlier, this idea of piecing together things from disparate religions and belief systems and philosophies and trying to make a belief system of your own out of these disparate pieces. And this is where the Catholic faith differed because the Catholic faith had this overarching sense, this worldview in which all of these pieces fit together. Everything fit. You start with natural law and so you understand the natural law leads to the moral law. The moral law builds into the divine revelation. You see all of this fitting together in such a cohesive way, in such a consistent way, that I didn't see there. And I liken it to using puzzle, a puzzle piece, a puzzle. You're putting together a puzzle. If you have a single image, single image, you put together those pieces of the puzzle, they all fit together eventually. Even if you don't know where everything fits, you know that all the pieces fit. You don't get that when you grab a handful of puzzle pieces from here and a handful from here and a handful from here. You cannot put those together into co to co to in into a coherent worldview. Got it. And so as, as that began to come together, I began to trust. And that was the big thing for the faith is, and, and my, my conversion was really very intellectual, uh, beginning to trust the church, beginning to understand what the church was trying to teach and beginning to understand that the church was not trying to impose its will on me, but it was trying to provide me with the best means of salvation, trying to provide me with the truth if I would only open myself up to it. And so eventually I said yes, and I came back. I was confirmed in 2003, uh, 2003 um, and uh, married in the church 2005. And uh, avid student of theology, scripture, and, and now canon law, uh, and a lover of Christ wow. and his church. Yeah. Wow. Oh my goodness. So the biggest turn or the biggest pivot, I guess, occurred just right after that accident, you said. Now, have there been any pivots within Catholicism? So since 2003, pivot meaning you thought you understood certain things and, and they turn out to be different in a, in a good way or, or in a upside down way. I'm very curious because some people have those experiences where it's almost, it's a honeymoon phase and then they, they find something else and, and there's just more to wrestle with is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, right. Certainly some minor pivots, some major pivots um, and a whole lot of growth. Uh, I mentioned that my, my conversion was largely intellectual. Started with the study and the acceptance of the faith from an, uh, a, a, an intellectual perspective. 
and, and to really understanding it because I didn't understand it before. Um, and I was like, like most reverts or converts on fire. And so very much into getting into these conversations on forums and on my blog and, and various places uh, about certain things and, and, uh, and telling people where they were wrong, you know, or, or, or whatnot, or, or just pontificating. <clears throat> and then I, I started studying theology and, and then I also uh, began my formation program in, uh, in, in, for the diaconate. And that's where I came up against, I can't, I'm saying against because it was, I was resistant to it. Sure. I came up against, uh, not, not because, not because it's a bad thing, but because I just wasn't prepared and, and didn't know what to do with it. Basically against the, the notion of, uh, applying more of a, a more of the compassion and the mercy of God, uh, because in the diaconate we're we're really looking at it's not just about the teaching; it's also about helping people to grow in the faith and helping people to grow in their relationship with God. Which the teaching comes into play with that, but the relationship is primary. And so, if you don't have the relationship, the teaching is not going to save you. The relationship saves you. So, helping people to grow in their relationship with God, I had to grow in my relationship with God, with Christ, because I was still very much stuck here. And so over the process of uh, formation uh, and, and over some, some trials, because I, I had some, um, some road bumps where I had to step back and, and reconsider my own approach, uh, I had to learn how to accept people more for who they are and where they are and accompany them. I know Pope Francis has talked about accompaniment quite a bit. And I don't think, you know, accompaniment does not mean permissiveness. It means meeting people where they are and leading them and helping them grow to where they need to be. As, as one person, uh, as, as a number of people have said, I think that Jesus is tolerant of people but he says, you can't stay here or, you're, or, or you'll die. If you stay here, you'll die. We need to come with me. And that's kind of the approach I take is that wherever I am, wherever, whoever I'm speaking to, and this, these can be people who are ultra-progressive, ultra-conservative, wherever they are, wherever they're mistaken, wherever they're broken. Brokenness is a big thing. You meet them where they are and you work with them to help them grow to where they need to be. You don't condemn them for what they're doing because they can't see the road. You have to help them find the road. Exactly. And then direct them in the right way. And so that was something I had to learn early on in my formation in the Yaknet. And, um, and it's really helped me because that has brought the in, in, in intellectual conversion down here and made it a matter of the heart and of relationships. And really any kind of conversation when you're talking about evangelization is about relationship first, not about, not about doctrine, not about the moral teachings of the church. Those come in as part and parcel of it, 
and they come in sometimes they come in later because you have to get them into the right frame of mind to receive it so i was going to ask you what is the most powerful way to witness the catholic faith and so are would you say that that's just through forming relationships that's probably the strongest thing you can do or what else would you would you say forming relationships providing the good example um some of us are not very good about providing that example and uh, and, and and that's lady and clergy i can affirm that i am not always the best example around the household uh, i need to start with my family and to to be a good witness here uh, but i also need to be a good witness in public and and part of that is uh, being available to all views and all people in terms of not necessarily accepting all views and all people uh, all views but accepting the people and working with them and not trying to push my views on them that doesn't mean i accept every view as valid but i'm not going to beat people over the head with a rule book uh, i'm not going to beat the people over the head with an ideology because really the only way we're going to have a conversation and the only way we're going to understand each other is if we understand each other relationally yeah. first that's the only way we can have a conversation and this this is a major piece missing from our public discourse right now yeah exactly and i you know it hit home when you said how can you just basically go to someone and condemn them for what many would be blind to that doesn't make logical sense it it just it doesn't for me people would um i've heard this my whole life and i probably thought this way too if you meet someone that's in grave sin and you you get to know them to a point where you can tell that they're not aware of truth <laughs> they're just not by you befriending them in that state does not imply that you endorse them in that state that's what is so difficult in this right. day and age to be able to say there is a loving path where you can befriend someone that's caught up in something and help them on you know learn about the alternative versus oh you're engaged in that now you're condemned it doesn't it doesn't make any logical sense so well there, there are areas where we 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 recognize this even as a culture we recognize this and practice it and then there are areas where we don't uh so for example we don't tell the addict we don't affirm him in his okayness for indulging in his addictive behavior you know obviously any any gambling you know whether it's gambling or or drugs or alcohol or or anything so we've exempted moral behavior from that for some reason not that there's completely distinct sometimes they're they're overlapping but um again we aren't going to get through to them if we don't love them first and if they don't know they're loved if they don't know they're loved and we don't love and we aren't trying to love them nothing we say is going to help the situation i also think we can witness in other ways and and i think this is sort of uh, I, I jokingly meant 
mentioned to you my, my band and, and wearing my band t-shirt um, a, a little bit ago, but really, um, and, and, and I have been in and out of the music business and, and uh, performance for, for years, um, uh, but back into it for the last five years. And uh, I see performing our music as a form of witness because originally I didn't want to go back and do that because I was concerned about my own my own well-being, my own moral uh, uh, integrity. But my wife and I had had several conversations about this, and she said, "You know, this could actually be your way of witnessing." And so, a lot of the music we play and we, what we write uh, has definitely has Christian influences. Some some are overtly Christian. Uh, I have a song called "Prodigal Son." Uh, another one called um, uh, "The Light We Cannot See," um, and and a lot of them have Christian themes in them. Some of them actually quote scripture, um, although again they're not overtly Christian. It's there, yeah. most of them. Yeah, and so and, and and when I'm when I'm talking to the audience, I I always wear a Dominican cross when or you know the or the Benedictine cross when I'm when I'm playing. Uh, often have T-shirts that have Christian messages on them, and will often say things that are are uh, encouraging people to seek the truth and such. So, my performance is a witness uh, in, in that regard, it, it, and um, and I try to be a witness to my bandmates. I try to be a witness to the people who are around me, wow. and people pick it up. So, so that's another way. But basically. We have to witness in our daily lives. If we are not acting like Christians, if we're not being Christ's hands and feet, if we are not taking Christ out to the world, if we are professing Christ like professing Christ on our lips in the church and then walking out and denying him with our actions, I'm trying to remember the, the name of the priest who, who said this, uh, that's what an unbelieving world finds so unbelievable. I think it was Father uh, Berrigan. Um, uh, who, who said that? Um, anyway, yeah. If we want to be believable as Christians, we have to act like Christians. Yeah, C.S. Lewis had something similar to that. He was saying it was in the same arena as him talking about nice people. It's like, oh, we're just a bunch of nice people. What what does that mean? What, what does that get you? And I think his point was the nice person that is. Yeah, potentially the, the friend that we were just talking about that's coming alongside this person and they're just known as the nice person. The friend doesn't know what the other person believes. They don't talk about what they believe because they just want everything to go smoothly so that they never talk about their faith, but they're nice. And the reason I bring that up is because before I reverted most of my life, that's what I was. I was nice. And, but my actions, so if, if someone said, oh, is Eddie a Christian? Some people might have said yes, but my actions were certainly not speaking the Christian language. And then when, when, you, when that registers, you realize that the people that were blind, they look at you and, and they say, that's, that's the role model for Christianity? Oh, man. And so what that does is it gives people an excuse 
I believe, to not pursue Christianity because they can just use that person as the prototype and just say, no, thanks. No, thanks. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, wasn't it uh, Penn Jillette? I don't know if you heard, he, staunch oh, atheist. Yes. He made that point about, in a nutshell, how are you not diving, dying and diving for people because you have the truth. You, why wouldn't you be on fire every day if you truly believe in the message of salvation? Right. <laughs> and, you, and you believe in Jesus Christ who died for you and you're supposed to die to self and do all these other things. He just said, I don't see it enough, which is a fair point. Yes, he has a point. And I believe he said that in the context of a person coming backstage to him and giving him a Bible and, and just asking, begging him, just read it and listen to it because you need to be saved. And, and he, he, what he really found, he didn't, he, it didn't change his mind, but he, at least he found it believable. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your studies and how that relates to the various homilies that you give at, at our, at our parish, because, and also your, your uh, blog, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that. It's something that I think I came up to you after mass. This was before we formally met. And I just said, Hey, I, I, I love a copy of the homily that you just gave. And I went to your site and was just blown away. I just, wonder if you could talk about that the research that goes into it and um it seems like you have a laser focus related to that and i really respect it so oh well um so i, I finished my master's in theology uh about six months before i was ordained which is a good thing because uh if i had not finished my thesis before i was ordained i probably never would have finished it <laughs> um, and it was sort of a tough time too my father was uh dying of cancer and uh Still working full time, of course, and I, I still am. Um, so, yeah, diaconate, masters, and full time work, and and cancer. Uh, so, big challenges there, but big blessings because God got me through it and really um, helped me to understand that He had a mission for me. And I wanted to make that palpable for the people that I was going to be teaching. Uh, even before I was ordained, I was involved in the RCIA program here at, at St. John's and taught on various subjects um, and, and teach even more now, on, particularly on uh, divine revelation, on uh, magisterial teaching and, and the, um, the doctrine of the faith and uh, how, how things are made there. How, how, how doctrine and how scripture and tradition and magisterium all work together to uh, to reveal divine relation or or to present divine revelation because it's already revealed. Um, and uh, with scripture, I especially found a love of Hebrew because um, I'd already been intrigued with the he the the Jews and Judaism and the culture. And then I started looking into and hearing more about how 
Hebrew works and how it reveals so much. If you, if you know the sources of scripture, how much more you get out of them. And so I, uh, I, I took three terms of Hebrew, biblical Hebrew, and, um, and that really helped me to beef up my, my homilies because I can get into the roots of words and show how words relate to each other and uh, also just get into the, the depth of the meaning there. Same goes for Koine Greek. Unfortunately, I have not studied Koine Greek yet. I really want to, but my, uh, my master's thesis did actually do a lot of linguistic analysis in Hebrew and Koine Greek. And I, I just love bringing that to people because they're not aware of it. That's not something that most, uh, most people, unless they're in an active uh, Bible study, sure. they're not aware of it. Yeah, they're not aware of it. Uh, I'm not sure what else I could say. Uh, my blog, of course, is it's it's right now it's devoted to my my homilies. Every once in a while, I'll put a reflection up there, or I'll post one a video over one of our songs or something like that. Uh, but I used to tell a lot more stories and 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 go more into uh, it, sort of discursions uh, about things, including the the time when I crucified myself on my grandmother's lawn. We'll have to put that link up. Yes, we'll have to put that link up. And uh, the other stories too. And I think I wanted to come back to another story too, because I mentioned early on, and I think I told you this story when we met the other, the other day about the formation process in the diaconate and also where I had worked in the past. And on the day of, on the day of my ordination, and this is a story I love to tell. I've told it at a couple of public events. The day that I um, was ordained, I, I went for a run, and it was drizzling, and I was it was I was weeping and crying uh, because of the joy I was feeling, and and we went to the ordination mass, and I was ordained, and it was beautiful, and then my family went to the local pizzeria to celebrate, and uh, it was my my parents, my brothers, uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law and their, their family, and then uh, my daughter and her, and her mother. And we had a nice meal. I blessed them all as they were leaving. Blessed my, my, uh, my daughter's mother, and then I blessed my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, and then I blessed my parents and my brothers, and we left. And then as we were leaving, I pulled out of the parking lot and I drove through the alleyway and back because I didn't want to get stuck with the, the, the traffic going on the other side. And as I was driving behind in that alleyway, I said, oh yeah, I used to park back here when I worked at the Blue Unicorn because the restaurant where we had our meal was the building where that metaphysical bookstore was. And the very room in which we were eating yeah. and in which I gave the three blessings was the very room in which I sold tarot cards, crystals, divination products, and other books. You did not mention that when we met. So that's... Ah, that was my St. Peter's moment. Whoa. 
<laughs> and it's so funny. I was going to ask you what happened to the blue unicorn. And so there you go. It's now Smoky Mountain Pizza on State Street. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. You know, you mentioned um, early, early on in the chat, something about a baptism story. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So we were taught when we were in formation for First Communion uh, that anyone can baptize because that's, that is actually true. Anyone with a proper intent, intending to do what the church intends, using the proper formula, can baptize if you have a willing participant and, uh, and you use the proper form and material. And so uh, I was playing with some friends of mine across the street. They, they had a sort of a rough life. Uh, their, their parents were a bit abusive, I could tell. Uh, but uh, I had just come back from uh, my class in First Communion, and we were playing in their backyard. <clears throat> and uh, I was just telling them where I was. I said, well, is it class for First Communion? She said, well, what's that? Well, oh, well, you don't know what First Communion is? Well, it's the first time you get the body of Christ and, and, uh, and stuff. And she says, well, I don't know anything about that. Or, is that. Is that a church thing? And she says, oh, yeah, well, well aren't you baptized? And I and they said, well, no, no. And so I told them about Jesus and I told them about First Communion in the church and, and all this stuff and, and said, well, do you want to be baptized? And they said, well, sure. <laughs> and there just happened to be a hose there. Oh, man. And it was running. And I'd been, I'd been told the proper form and material. And so I said, I baptize, they laid down on the grass. Wow. I said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, both of them. So I think it was a valid baptism. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. It wasn't recorded in any parish registers. So yeah, that, probably would be. That's lacking, have, but yeah. There'd have to be a conditional baptism if they actually went back to the church. So. Well, hope, who knows, right? You, you, you haven't stayed. Right. You lost contact with them, I'm assuming. So yes, yes. Yeah. Oh man. Anything else you want to add? Oh, I, I know what else I wanted to ask you. How often are you given a chance? Do you come across uh, people, non-Catholic Christians, and you have a chance to share your story or to testimony aside, just talk about the faith from the Catholic vantage point? Is that does that come up? Oh, quite frequently. Um, actually, what I've found is in the workplace, especially now that we're in sort of distance mode, and, and even when I'm meeting face-to-face -face with people in an office, that because they know, I, I'm, I'm very public about what my affiliations are. You go on my LinkedIn page, you see I'm, I'm a, a content engineer, I'm also a deacon in the Catholic Church. So everyone who, who encounters me at work, they go up and look on LinkedIn, they, they know exactly who I am and, and what I do. And so they will occasionally bring those questions up or, or bring those conversations up. Um, or I will mention the fact, oh man, I'm really busy with ministry right now, so uh, just doing my best to stay afloat. Uh, and, and they'll say, oh, I sort of figured that would be the case, it's Easter, you know? And, and so we'll have this conversation the latest conversation was actually with my physician. 
who who acknowledged the fact that he he is he was a Protestant, but actually looking into the Catholic faith. And so we had this really great conversation about five to ten minutes uh, before he finished up his exam, talking about the, you know the things he was concerned about, the the reservations and and the, the blockers and things like that, but very much on the way. But you know, there are other people as well. I, I remember talking to a, a, a man who was um, Sikh in a, in a bar somewhere off in the East Coast when I was at a conference. Um, he, was, he was at the same hotel and just having conversations about our faith in general. And, uh, and that, was, that was very enlightening for me. And just being open and talking to them, knowing that we didn't have the same beliefs. And understanding that there was going to be a difference there. And then I have a lot of Jewish friends and um, uh, friends that I know from, from work and, and otherwise. Uh, and so I have com uh, common conversations with people on those subjects and I value them a lot because they give me a different perspective on the faith. Uh, they give me new, new appreciation for other faiths um, while still clinging firmly to mine, um, but yeah, uh, it, there are a lot of opportunities where I, where in the public, in the, in the, in the, in the uh, professional life, in uh, private life, people see me uh, coming through uh, at the co-op or at the liquor store with a, my medals or my cross or, or, or whatever I'm wearing, and they'll ask me questions about it, and I'll just, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it. That's great. And uh, I, I find that people are much more open when you are not dumping a Bible and beating them over heads with it. They're, they're not open then, and they shouldn't be. That's, that's assault. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, literally hitting them over the Bible. <laughs> oh, that's great. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to add about uh, what you do? I think we covered a lot, actually. Yeah, I just say I have started my studies in canon law this semester and uh, particularly with uh, learning Latin at 56 and trying to remember conjugations and declensions. Please pray for me. I, I certainly will. And those that watch this video will certainly do that. So, well, great. Thanks again, um, everyone. If you enjoyed that, please share it with family, friends. And like I said, uh, please like and comment on the videos. Until next time, take care and God bless.